Welcome, welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast presented to you from the Western Cape Pod Bunker located here in the heart of Cape Town, South Africa. This pod is presented to provide a platform and a voice for built environment professionals and interest groups who are working towards transforming the places and spaces here in South Africa. It is dedicated to those individuals and community groups that are supporting both the formal and informal processes that are shaping our cities and our spaces. This episode was recorded in a week that I suspect South Africa will look back on with a real sense of shame and indignation. It was a week where we had seen the continuation of xenophobic attacks up in Gauteng and other places around the country, as well as an ongoing, unending sequence of violence and violent attacks on our women and children across the country. It's difficult to reflect in an episode such as this as to where we are going in terms of the country. It's clear that things have got to change. It's clear that things have not changed for many, many years. The point has been made in recent days that the rainbow moment and the change was supposed to happen in 1994. Here we are in 2019 and many would argue that we are going backwards. The whole purpose of this podcast was to try and inspire and to generate ideas that take us to a next level, that assist us in coming to terms with where we're at in South Africa. It's very difficult to put together a program of speakers and thinkers when this has been the case this week. What I can say is that this episode is dedicated to those victims of violence and that we'll continue to try and bring you through the Talking Transformation podcast. Those people who I think will bring you perspectives which are important in taking the country forward, in developing the youth to have ideas, to have interests that assist us in our built environment, assist us in our communities. I also realize that there's only so much we can do through a platform such as this. We are still small, we are still a small platform. But I do hope that the ability to have a conversation and move this forward will prove to be one of the aspects that does take us to a different place and a happier place and a safer place in future. Enjoy the episode. So today we're looking at the issues of mobility, of public transportation and the role that technology can play in meeting the increasing challenges of movement in and around our cities. On a daily basis, there's an estimated 15 million people who are dependent on the minibus taxis as a a way of accessing jobs and opportunities. And in more recent years, we've seen the introduction of the bus rapid transit systems in and around many of the metros in the country. At the same time, we've seen a, a, a failing rail system in many of our metro areas. Rail as a means of mass transit has increasingly been abandoned by the the users in favor of other modes of transportation as, as the operational and capital challenges that have been facing the Passenger Rail Authority of South Africa, or PRASA, have been well documented in the media. We've also seen in the last five or so years the introduction of uh, app-based technologies like Uber and other platforms that have started to change the way that many of us uh, engage with and move around the cities uh, on a daily basis. Today our guest is Yulisa Kani. Yulisa has a unique perspective and is able to consider both a public and private sector perspective given her working collaboration with two of the metropolitan authorities in the country, being the city of Johannesburg and the Kuruleni Metropolitan Municipality up in Gauteng. She's also in the last four years been working directly with Uber, 
as their head of public policy. So she's uniquely placed to consider both the, the, the challenges and the lessons learned in the public sector around things like the bus rapid transit systems, as well as the engagements and negotiations with the taxi industry. She's also very well placed in terms of thinking about where we're going in future, what are the trends that we should be considering, what are the opportunities that we're not necessarily understanding, and how do things like the regulatory environment, which often are challenges in those early informative years of new technology, how do we overcome some of the regulatory obstacles and what is it we should be asking ourselves, both as consumers as well as regulators. It makes for a fascinating listen and I hope you will enjoy Ulysses' reflections. So it's a Friday afternoon yeah. and I'm here with Ulysses Akani. Head of Public Policy at Uber. That platform that gets so many of us from place A to B yeah. uh, when we most need it. I've asked you to come here uh, today to to do two things. One is to look at transportation in the country as a whole. We're actually sitting here, and if we look down, we can see on the one side the rail station, we can see the taxi rank mm-hmm. uh, at Adelaide Street. If we look to the, the left, we can see the N1 and the congestion that's on there. We can look down, we can see the My City uh, infrastructure, we can see the mini minibus, the rail private cars, we can even see cyclists weaving their way in and out. You arrived for this interview today in one of the the Ubers. There's lots of options, yet I I get a sense that we're struggling in terms of transportation and mobility within the country. So today, I appreciate you coming in and the conversations today. Look back on your time within the public sector, where you've served uh, in various roles in at least two of the uh, metropolitan municipalities. Uh, look back at some of the ideas like the uh, IRT or the Integrated Rapid Transit Systems, the BRTs that we've seen, and then really spend the second part looking forward, looking at things like the e-hailing platforms and how technology can start to take us into the future. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation, Pete. When we look outside, what do you see? What, what is it that you're, if you were to summarize where we're at, 2019, September, we've been through a hell of a, a couple of weeks with other issues in the country. Transportation is right up there in terms of one of the big ticket items that we seem not to be getting right. What's your What's your take? Look, I mean, I let, let, let's be real. I no black person can 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 ever escape public transport. As much as I grew up in a in a family with a car, I could not escape being exposed and the experience of public transport. But what do I see today? I see two things. Maybe because I'm an optimist. I see an opportunity. That's the first thing I see. I see immense opportunity to still change the public transport landscape in the country for the greater good of the commuter. I also see chaos, a lost opportunity where we could have leveraged on the public transport infrastructure systems grant to make good grounds. But what did we do? We were all over the shore. That's what happens when you're all over the show. You lose the focus. For some or other reason, we decided everyone should go for a public, uh, sorry, a bus rapid transit system, without thinking whether it made sense for the Umsunduzi municipality to have the same extent of a BRT as Johannesburg, and whether Bulugwane should be planning for a bus rapid transit system. George Nelson Mandela, all of George was smart enough to say, "We'll do buses only." That was a smart plan. It was an, they were not even part of the plan. They sneaked themselves in well and good for them. But how many years after 
public transport action strategy was approved it was approved in 2007 all of these cities that have the brt funding were supposed to be running that brt system by 2010 nine years later mm. some are still planning something has gone fundamentally wrong so i still see an opportunity to get this thing right but i also see chaos and, and a missed opportunity if we think back to the sort of call to action around you mentioned 2010 mm -hmm. as a you know the whole soccer world cup and that, that drive and in fact sort of demand of having an effective public transportation system so that opportunity that came our way to say you're going to have to focus and get these things down that to my mind was was, was useful in terms of to a point what came after that in terms of what's the next legs of this thing that we need to grow on a sustainable network basis seems to have been part of where we perhaps came unstuck mm. for understanding again land use and transportation are we putting these things in the, the right place to support existing land users or working on the basis that land use will change over time mm -hmm. no look i mean the the most unfortunate thing about the world cup is that we planned for the world cup on paper we said we're planning for the world cup and beyond but we literally planned for the world cup because if, it, if we're planning for beyond the World Cup, it can't be that we still have cities that are still planning the system and are still being given the opportunity to be funded. The DOT and the National Treasury, they threaten all the time that if you're not here by such and such a time, we we'll take away the funding. None of that funding has been taken. There are no punitive measures for a slow implementation. And the project has been hijacked by a whole lot of other externalities. Mm. And quite ironically, you will find that in some cities now the taxi industry is more than ready to run the BRT because they understand that this is another way of being subsidized given that they are the only mode that's not being subsidized. The politics have come into play. And who suffers the most? It's a commuter on the ground. Don't even talk about transit-oriented development because if you look at the, 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 the effort that was put into making sure the nodal points around the how train stations were well developed, go and look at Sentin. You were part of those plans, CIDs. Absolutely. Go and look at uh, the, the Jobex CBD. There's massive developments, but you're not going to find the same in Tokoza Park where BRT starts. So government, for me, we have, we, we have a problem of, of speaking in fog tongue. What's on paper and what we do on the ground are two different things because you, you have to ask yourself, why has transit-oriented development failed so dismally? When the backbone, which is the transport system, mass transit system is there, why can't you find the same developments in Rosefield and Marlborough? What, mm. are we, what, what are we doing wrong there but getting so right in Sentinel and in the CBD? I mean, I think it's interesting. You, you put up something on LinkedIn, I think, a couple of weeks ago mm. and got a big response mm. from a very wide uh, audience. And some of the reflections that seemed to come up was this idea of, you know, if you look at some of our supposed stations and stops associated with a transit-oriented thinking, often what you're seeing is a very mono, mono land use, very low density, non-active uh, land market, um, often state-owned land in and around that that is just neglected or is not, not, not functional. And yet what, what's required, of course, is a functional land market, is a, an active uh, space, active D development rationale mm. that supports the private sector mm. as well as public. Mm. I think these are things that we are we, 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 we're struggling with, mm. as you say. Mm. Look, Peter, I mean, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to when the city of Johannesburg was restructured. 
that Egoli 2002, whatever, that said, you know, let's 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 amalgamate all the local municipalities. Let's have one big metro. Let's privatize some of the departments. Let them become municipal-owned entities. There was a strategy there. I probably was employee number six, seven, somewhere there. I don't know, but we built a very healthy team. There was there was there was proper leadership right from the mayor, Mayor Masondo to his executive manager, Pascal Muloi, to the executive director, who was Amanda Nair, and her directors, and her deputy directors. We all knew that that's where we are going. There was a goal. And there was also an, an understanding that you can't do it alone. Let's resource the these various departments. We, we call the DBT&E then, Department of Planning, Transport, and Environment. And the things that we did there, Peter, I'm sure you also have chills up your, up, 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 up your spine when you look at the infrastructure that we developed. What has changed? Please don't tell me it's because of a lack of resources. There are plenty of university graduates that are wondering, where do I go next? Mm. So it's not, a, it's not a lack of resources. It's just a, a, a lack of focus. It's a lack of focus. I guess we can't have a conversation about public transportation without talking about rail. Mm. Um, it seems to be a major challenge across the country. We particularly uh, hit by it quite hard here in mm. uh, okay, Cape Town. It really has become a, a massive issue and encumbrance of the city to function effectively. Uh, any any thoughts on the rail? I know it's not your the direct uh, uh, space, but. Rail is supposed to be the backbone of all modes of public transport and everything else comes secondary to that. The problem with rail is that it's got a historic problem. In fact, public transport has a history that is known by a couple of people, that, but not many, right? Rail, if you remember at the time, I think it was in the early 90s where there was the ANC versus IFP and all of those clashes, those tensions, because it was carrying masses, they happened in, in, in that mode. That's where you would find masses and you could easily execute whatever misdeeds you had in mind. And I think the government of that time propelled this because they thought, you know what, kill each other for all we care and come 1994, there'll be nobody to vote and we perpetuate the situation, but life has got its own plans. Having said that, we still have that history so a lot of people exited to say that if, if this is what this thing looks like, I, it, it's got, I've got no business uh, using rail as my mode of transport. But you found people that were captive. They don't have any other choice but to use the rail system. And they were in numbers because it's the, it's a, it's the cheapest mode. And it's the mass transit it's mode. It's a mass transit mode and everything else was supposed to feed onto that. But there was also a, a lot of disinvestment in rail. The, nobody cared to invest and, 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 and maintain the system such that it runs optimally. It's actually what happened with ESCOM, where they were drumming it into us to say that if you don't spend time and money on on, on investment, we're we, we going south. That's what happened with rail. And with any other public transport mode, by the way, people, they get into that system because they're captive. The minute they have an opportunity to jump out, which meant buying a car, they jump out. Understood immediately what is unfortunate right now is still the, the 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 fact that there has been little emergency in terms of dealing with the rail issues now they have bought new trains and only to wake up one day and learn that 
they don't have the right dimensions. It's a problem, right? Now that they've gotten it right, it's how many trains... Do we have left? No, no, no it, never mind that. But how many trains does the train manufacturer that won the bid, are they able to, to produce at any given time? If they produce two trains now, it's going to take another six months before those trains can actually run on our system because they need to be tested. So I think there's still an opportunity to invest in rail, bring people back onto the rail system. It's the basics, by the way. And if you had to ask me what can we do to fix rail, can they concentrate on their core, which is running trains? Can all the other ancillaries be looked into? And just unbundle them. Why is Prasa running buses? It's a nice to have. They're not even running at full capacity. Can you look at your core, make sure that it works, and everything else becomes an ancillary service that is meant to support your core, which is running trains. They built a state-of-the-art nerve center. I think that's great. But why is it that every other city that is building a BRT needs to build another nerve center? Mm. Why mm -hmm. can't we use that? 100%. Why are we duplicating efforts and wasting capital expenditure? So, I mean, I, I, I think the, the, the story of the rail system is an unfortunate one when a whole lot of people rely on it. It still has a future, provided they get the right people, they refocus, and they, 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 they build that system fit for purpose. We could, because the, the reality, Pete, is that we can't afford to build BRTs in every corridor. That project is capital expensive. And I mean, extensive. And, and operationally? Operationally is still far better than the capital expenditure. If you go to the DART system, the Dar es Salaam, it's so rudimentary, it's so basic, but it runs and it runs with numbers. I'm not saying we shouldn't have integrated ticketing systems that are running electronically, sure. but they're running an efficient paper, a paper system. Mm. Bottom line is you tap in and out using a paper system. Now, we've got a very sophisticated system that hasn't done what, whatever it was intended mm. to do, and it runs in, 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 in billions and uh, billions of rands. So I, I, I think, again, we, 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 we did not have a problem with funding, but we misused it. And now that at the time that we need, need this the most, there's nothing left in the kitty. I think this has been an excellent, excellent summary of where we are at. Mm. And I, you've touched on the taxis, and we could talk for an age about private uh, road congestion and so mm. forth. I think that we'll have to leave for another topic for another day. I think you've already started to touch on where I wanted to take us, which mm. was to start talking about what whole question of smart cities and this idea of new, new, new mobility. Mm. Uh, two sort of concepts that seem to be out there around where do we go next. And that's very much where you seem to be focused now with your work with Uber and what Uber is bringing to, uh, say, the whole mobility. How did you get involved with Uber? What, where, wh what is it that drew you to that, um, having spent your time as a civil servant in that transport space? What took you there and, and what do you start to see now? And how do you understand these ideas of smart city and new mobility? It was a perfect storm. <laughs> <laughs> they had come to meet me as, as the head of department in Ikuruleni, and uh, they were trying to engage with the taxis, in particular the OR Tambo Meter taxi, and they were just not winning. And because I have worked with the taxi industry, they were my stakeholders, I got everyone around the table. But I was also the first skeptic on this product. 
I was like, hell not. This can't work here. This is going to kill the meter taxi industry. And that's how we always look at things. We never look at, at an opportunity that comes mm. with, with an, an invention. We look at what might not work with it. But fast forward, we all agree that, look, we think you've got the right experience. We think you, 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 you kind of know the space. Can you come in and, and, and can, you, can, can, you, can you come join us? I must tell you, Uber is chaotic in its own way because it was at the time when the pushback from traditional meter taxi was heightened. I was dwindling between policy, law enforcement, taxi uh, point of contact. I, I, and I, I just struggled to figure out exactly what am I here for, having come from an environment where I was implementing very complex infrastructure projects. Now, here I am trying to mediate between taxi and this tech company. Here, I'm, here I am trying to say to the tech company, Yes, we, the technology is good, but it mustn't be at the cost of people's lives. No government will ever allow that. Sure, sure. And it was, that's where it was going. That people that's, were losing it, their lives. It, they were losing their lives and then having a conversation with the taxi bosses to say, look, you can kill me and then you can kill my colleagues if you want, but you can't stop technology, technological advancement. What do we do? And the, I remember the, 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 the president of... KZN um, a, a region looking at me to say, actually, you're right. It's like trying to stop a tsunami. We had, him and I had secret meetings at the airport, in the, on the freeways, trying to find the middle ground. And nobody knew about those meetings. And he eventually went to, to his constituency and he said, look, it's, the water is in, inside already. The tsunami is coming. The tsunami is inside. Why don't we talk about how we want to work with Uber? That is why it's not a perfect relationship, but that's why you had less violence in KZN because they're in the majority. Their first order was, it's an app, right? Switch it off. Get out of here. We don't care where you come from. We don't want this thing. We've operated without it. We don't need it. But like anything else, and I think that's what I learned in working with the BRTs and on the World Cup, that you have to negotiate. It's a negotiated outcome if you to. A hundred percent. You you don't come in and say, I've got the technology, I've got the resources, I've got the money, and therefore. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to find a way of bringing yourself down to their level and take them up with you. It was one of the most difficult uh, conversations I've ever had in my entire life. But till today, we work with each other. Till today, we collaborate on a number of in initiatives. 30% of the Uber's uh, driver partners come from there. I, I laughed one day. One guy said to me, there's something I don't understand, my sister. I'm at the Khao train station all the time. I'm fighting this Uber driver off. But at the corner of my eye, there's another one and another. I can't fight four people. At the, and why do they can't keep coming back if there's no demand? Can you just help me get onto the platform? Because this is madness. And the penny dropped. They then started to realize that what we are doing is no different from what they did. We're just bringing efficiencies with the technology. The gig economy has always been there. People have sold fat cooks, biscuits, sweets, whatever. 
freelance on a weekend in the evenings that's a gig economy making mm-hmm. yourself available for whatever amount of time and it's a transaction that you get money from and then you go and do something else if that's what you want to do what the difference is right now is that you've got a technology that links you to your consumer or your client directly and real time real time it comes with efficiencies so uh, i mean it was it, it was very it was very emotionally charged at mm, first I because believe. i mean every now and again there's a story this this is what has happened you're thinking when and how do we stop this madness and government on the other hand is saying we like this but you know i don't bring bring a tax war at our, our doorstep yes when we're also in perpetual um elections if it's not local elections it's national elections so the timing's never going to be right the timing is never, <laughs> never going right. to be right so we said how do we then become a net contributor in a, in the cities where we're operating and that kind of worked we don't have solutions to everything but we can tell you now that we're doing things that have never been anticipated in the public transport system and you can't wait to have um an Uber pool in South Africa a high capacity vehicle in South Africa like we're having in in Cairo the the opportunities are endless so that's how, that's how I found myself at Uber and three and a half years later I'm still, I actually never thought I'd go past six months I <laughs> well you're doing great for a six month what uh, the hell is <laughs> this I mean you Lisa what you're describing is fascinating because mm-hmm. As you say, whether it was the BRT, where the, obviously the discussion, discussion there was around the whole taxi industry yeah. and that transition. Here you're describing, how do you win over the hearts and minds of the individual, the collective of the, the grouping, and ultimately the state, the institutional uh, apparatus that's, mm. that, that you need to work within from a regulatory point mm. of view. And clearly that was another of the issues I think that in the, those early days mm-hmm. Uber would have had to struggle with around, what is this? Is it a taxi? I mean, the whole, do you license it? I think that those regulatory issues are not going away in no. certain instances. You've still got no. other challenges that you're dealing with. But I mean, it, it, it's it's not just the incremental; it's the institutional. And I think that's a, it's a remarkable story that you reflect. Yeah, on. I mean, uh, look, regulation is always in the way of everything, of a, any any business development. I mean, w- w- the biggest achievement we've had in terms of the regulation is that there's now a recognition of e-hailing services. Mm. There are now a whole... The first time I met with the regulators in Cape Town, we were the only players. A month ago, when I went to a meeting with the MEC, there were eight others. Some are still planning to launch. Some still reference Uber. We're going to do this better than Uber. Uber this, Uber that. We're used to it. I mean, we... we we become like the Hoover. You, we, you, 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 you're the brand. They don't know different, different. that for them to even conceptualize that we did all the dirty work, the heavy lifting, sure. those consultations that we have, we learned the hardest lessons more than anyone else will, will will ever do in a country like mine. But you know what? It's not about Uber. It's about, you know, the, the, just opening people's minds to say that, you know, the technology can, can, can help us get to where we want to be sooner rather than later. There's a lot of people now that have decided, why do I have to own two cars when I can Uber? Now, and, and, and it's a matter of time before we start getting used to, can we now share the rides? Can I go to town with three other people that are going in that direction? It, it costs me less. Why not? If you can get into a 14-seater taxi, why can't you get into a, 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 a four-seater sedan? I guess it comes back down to those age-old uh, metrics of efficiency in terms of time and cost and effort. Yeah. And if you can get those right, yeah. whether you're sharing or whether you're individual, as long as you're safe, 
it's 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 good news. But that's how people get to use consumers. Uber. It's it's about the convenience. Can I conveniently move from one place to the other? Everything else is second, and now that it's convenient for me, at least I know how much I'm going to pay. I, at least I know how, who's going to drive me, and I know that this trip trip is being tracked. That there's a record. Of there's constantly. a record of every ride. Now imagine putting that into the rest of the public transport system. Do you know what our best use case is? The first and last mile to to last mile to transit systems, my city, Riavai, and the Hau train. Those are the three big ones. Fascinating. And then areas of, of entertainment. And then it's everything else. How often do we talk in meetings about that last mile? Obviously, not so. It's a conversation that I started with the Hau train three years ago, and I'm still having it. Such a it's such a natural. Um, symbiotic relationship but every time you have a conversation with Hartrain they always want to talk about how is taxi going to react to that I don't know so you still your challenges are still there this the challenges are still there the challenges are still there but we're losing an opportunity one of the things that you talked about the paperless system up um, up north that uh, was a very effective system mm. and where we're going in terms of the app-based technology and technology more generally I was very fascinated when I was in uh, the UK uh, six months ago or so the idea that you can use your tap tap in tap out cr credit card multiple times come the end of the of the day end of the week you get one one transaction payment, and that was when I suddenly realized some of the endless possibilities, not only in terms of app-based tech to support mobility, but really the, those pieces of plastic that you're carrying around, and ultimately, I guess, that's going to be your phone that you yeah. you hold up against the reader and you yeah. manipulate your way through the space. Yeah. One one operation, one, one mode, and very, very effective. Any thoughts on that? I remember it was one of my last meetings before I'd already resigned in Equilin, but I decided to serve a three-month notice just so that I could wrap everything up. And I remember having a meeting with the Department of Transport, and I was asking a simple question. Why are we bringing a, a Euro Visa MasterCard onto the platform? Because what that means is that for Gogo and Tembisa, she must have a minimum amount on this bank card because yeah. the bank charges on the card. Mm -hmm. So if she has 15 rands and her trip is 12 rands or six rands, six rands, she probably can make her way too but can't come back because it it, it, it it then gives her a minus, minus balance and the banks won't have any of sure. that. So I asked why are we having this? And duty said it's a regulation. So yeah, I understand. But, but what was the rationale behind? You got to a regulation because there was a rationale. What's your rationale? It couldn't come. And do you know what the unintended consequences of that? Do you know is? you are saying that people shouldn't spend more than ten percent of their disposable income in their households on public transport, but you're still pushing an EMV? Why can't we have this? In fact, we've got something like this in the U.S. with another company where you can pay for your for your for your trip. It's an Uber trip plus a train trip, all in one. Fantastic. Via a cell phone. Is that achievable in South Africa in, in, in the next five years? Do you see that? Yours? Of course it would be, depending on where our minds are at. There's no reason why we can't. Why can't what can't you not do with your cell phone? You'd rather lose a bag than to lose a cell phone. <laughs> what can't you do? Depends what's in the bag. You want, you, 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 it's the cell phone. If the cell phone is in the bag, you don't want to lose the bag. If it's in your chest somewhere, let the bag go. But the point I'm trying to make is that the... 
I, I worry when we have double standards and hidden agendas and, and at, at the disadvantage of, of, of huge masses. Give me my cell phone. I will send emails. I will prepare for this meeting. I will talk to my son. I will book my flight tickets. There isn't anything I cannot do under the sun. Why can't I pay? With the phone. With the phone. Who's benefiting from that? Well, I think it's certainly something that we need to think about. And mm. uh, it'll be interesting to see, as I say, how the mindset changes. As you use the example of the gentleman in KZN mm. who realized that the tsunami yeah. is coming. Mm. At what stage, at the regulation space, do we say the tsunami is coming and we're going to need to adapt? I mean, I from this um, from this interview, I'm having another uh, dinner conversation where we're talking about, you know, South Africa, and I can't divulge much. They, they, they there's an intention to build a policy institute because there's a realization that business can't thrive if the policies and regulations are not forward-looking. We spent a heck of a lot of time and effort trying to get the right regulations for e-hailing in general. Sure. But what was interesting was that the outcome of those conversations was that, yeah, we think there's room for you, but you're going to have to act in the same manner as the traditional meter taxi. I'm saying, but why do you take the new into the old? Why can't you say to the meter taxi, the world is moving in this direction? How about you start thinking along this line? Because that's not, it's not progressing. You're acknowledging that we're here, but you still, you still want the vehicles to have a meter sign when everything you're looking for <laughs> is an app. You want to know who's coming? It's there. How much it's going to cost you? It's there. But you're asking us to have a meter sign. For what? What else do you want to know that you can't get in app? The meter sign costs 2000 and government is not paying for that. The operator has to. Is that something that's been demanded now and will be, will be seeing introduced? It's already there. They're asking for it. I see. It's an ongoing conversation to say, for what? Mm -hmm. I, I'm not asking you not to ask for a meter sign. I'm asking in this particular case, for what? Help me understand why you want a meter sign. Help me understand why I should be marking this vehicle as an Uber vehicle. Because if you, if you are saying I must have a sticker that says Uber, I don't have a problem with it, but tell me why. Then you say to me it's for safety reasons, and I tell you anyone can get a sticker and put it on the car and pretend to be an Uber. Now what? Where, where does that progress? Where, where does that take us? Safety or security or whatever that aspect? Where, How is that can, we, can we think things through? Hmm. Can we not be emotional about our decisions? This week, Elisa, we've seen... I would argue a change in the whole psyche of the country around safety and security. Mm. We've seen very serious uh, a continuation of a long-standing story of violence, and it's impacting, I think, on everybody yes. in every corner. And here we are having a conversation. Um, we started to talk about safety and what 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 does the sign do to improve a regulation or a space. One of the things that we've seen, um, there was a, a, an article I, I came across today about the idea of sort of um, lift sharing for, for women from a safety point of view. Any thoughts from your side about where, again, the app-based technology can take us in terms of being able to pair up and improve the safety and security of your, of your customers or whether it's Uber's customers or whoever's about how do we, how do we make the transportation modes more, more safe? I was here last week, Saturday, 
and we cycled. We had a conversation about women and cycling. We called it a mobile women event and we talked about why women don't cycle when they can because they're all learning in numbers because it, the freedom that comes with that wind blowing through your face. I did it six, I didn't even realize that my, my muscles remembered how to cycle because the last time I cycled was when I was 12 with my BM, BMX. Um, I didn't have you down as a BMXer. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Peugeot BMX. It was yellow. I remember it very oh, well. Man. So I, I, I then put together this event on, on, on last week Saturday with Open Streets as well as the bicycle mayor of Cape Town, Lebohang, Mugwena. And we had this interesting conversation with the gender, Sonke Gender Justice uh, NGO. We were talking about the, you know, the realities of the unsafety of our public transport system and how these kumbis had to be re, uh, uh, reconfigured because they had to take away the middle seat. In the middle seat, if you happen to be there, in some cases when the driver changes gears, lo and behold, he will go via your thighs. And we got so used to it that we made a joke about it, but actually that, that, that was inappropriate behavior. And then we cycled through Kailicha on Saturday, six kilometers. The freedom that came Fantastic. with it just looking around and then you get an opportunity to see the realities in the townships you know the, you see it differently when you cycle you see it differently when you're cycling there's an accident at 10 a.m the driver is drunk as is, is in stupor truck those are realities but fast forward what can how can you use technology for good to save those kind of problems mm. with the with the with the app we've got telematics so when the guy starts going over the speed limit it starts making generating a, a report a report to say you over the speed limit if the phone is shaking just like discovery does we can tell you that it's not on the stand you're holding your phone which means you're texting or on the phone interesting exactly um so we, 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 we then give these guys a report on a weekly basis to say, you know what, this is this is your driving in general. Fascinating. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 when when, when an, a client says, I'm in a rush he should have taken that ride thirty minutes before or, or on time so that he doesn't put the pressure on the driver. Because it's the driver's uh, safety and security that you're also interested in. And, and the riders, by the way, we take both Absolutely. equally uh, 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 important. So when a, when a rider gets into the car, she or he has an opportunity to share the ride with, or share her trip or his trip with 10 other family members, like I did with mine. So just about up, up, about, up to about 10 family members can track and trace your trip. That's the first time I've used, I've, I've seen that technology on actually. That was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've now started taking my trip. I'm sharing it with you. The same goes with the the driver. When he's on his last trip on his way home, he shares it with with the, your home base his family home. to say, "I'm on my way home." They can tra track and trace him. If anything happens along the line, they can tell. Right. They also have we we have a relationship with security so that if 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 anything happens, you press a button and you get help. You, nobody else knows until at that time that the law enforcement or whoever is coming to help with security is there on scene. So it happens for both the rider and the driver. Because we've heard our drivers when they say, you know, the first thing they take is my cell phone. Yeah. 
So there's nobody to call at that Understood, time. But yeah. now you can press a panic button and, nice. and there it is. We also offer social protection for our driver partners as much as it's an independent contract and you, you, know, you, you work on flexibility, you switch on as you like. Should anything happen to you whilst you're on your way to a trip and then you've picked up somebody, mm. then we cover whatever incident, whether it's an accident or it's an injury or fatality and, 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 and including riders, by the way. So, so, so that's us saying as much as we, we understand that you are, you are an independent operator, but we also understand the environment in which you are operating. Okay. There's, a, there's a framework there that you've, you've thought through and you've adapted and it seems like you're still going at it. 100%. And we want to enhance that because we stand, if there's one thing we take seriously is safety. We want to secure the safety of our drivers and our riders. Now imagine putting that in any other public transport system. It's technology. That's all it is. But it gives you a full view of what's happening on the platform. I remember during the World Cup in the Seb Blatter said we must security vet all our driver, uh, taxi drivers and, and, and. Peter, I think we, by day three, we're like, ugh. Not gonna work. Do you want the World Cup or don't you want the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> Decide, sir. No. But this exercise is stopping right here, right now. Ineffective. It's not time consuming. It, it was it was time consuming, but the, the guys were already in the system. And thirdly, we're like, some of them is it's misdemeanors. The guy happened to be at the taxi rank when, when there was an altercation. The cops come and they sweep everybody, and then now there's a criminal record across the board. Or in 1980, Mr. Whoever stole cheese because he was hungry. You know the security. Yeah. Now it, it, the world must come to a standstill because Seb Blatter and his team mm. says so. I mean, we have a context, we have a history, but with the technology, we, you know, now that you know that you've got a criminal record, go sort it out, go and expand, because it could have been that you are looking for another job, because the, the platform is just, it's a, it's a, it's a platform. We upskill our drivers as well. They, we've got into a relationship with Old Mutual where we teach them financial literacy. Fantastic. So in September, we we've partnered with the African Management Institute where we're teaching our female drivers entrepreneurship skills. That's what they want. The female drivers use the platform as a secondary income. The male drivers use it as a primary income. Interesting. A very, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting dynamic. Yeah. It talks to the salary disparities and opportunities that women don't get that our male counterparts get. Yulisa, we've also seen a rise in xenophobic attacks, particularly yeah. up in Gauteng. And my experience, certainly here in Cape Town and when I've been back in Gauteng, has been that you know, a number of your drivers, good percentage, are foreign nationals. Um, have they been okay? Are they well? Um, have they been affected by this? No, they have not been affected, touch wood. Uh, but that's, that's something that comes up all the time to say that why do we have a lot of foreign drivers on our platform? Pete, it's a social conundrum that I don't have an answer for. But I know that even before Uber came, every other restaurant had a foreign waiter or waitress. What do we do? Do we say you can't drive on the platform because you're Zimbabwean when you've already crossed the border? Would we rather you, 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 you find and take advantage of economic opportunities or you become a burden to the government? I don't have an answer for this. But as yet in touch would they have not been affected as a company we, we are standing against it. I think we are all Africans before everything and anything else. It's just unfortunate that because 
society becoming impatient with some of the things that they, they're not going that are not going right they've decided to take the law into their hands i honestly hope that it stops sooner rather than later absolutely moving towards the summary there is this one sort of other aspect i would want to discuss with you which is you know a lot of the idea around uh, app-based tech um imagine if we could start thinking about parking which obviously in, in the land use takes up an enormous amount of space both in terms of street parking subterranean and uh, above above ground park. Do you think we'll see a time, as Uber thought about, what does what does a parking app look like that starts to allow you to pre-book a week in advance? We've seen it in the in the airports for for years that you can pre-book your car park space and actually get a discount a week in advance, three days in advance. I'm interested in, from your rounded, not just the Uber perspective. You know, having worked in the public sector, what do you think about the parking and where we're going with that? Is there an opportunity that we're arguably missing at the moment? We shouldn't even be making as much provision of parking as we are. I mean, the cars are parked 95% of the time. The nice thing about an average driver in, 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 on the Uber platform is that in an hour they have one and a half to 1.9 trips per hour. Mm -hmm. Constantly on the move. Constantly on the move. Two people in, 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 in an hour, even more. It's unfortunate that every time we build infrastructure, whether we are bu building a, an office block, we're thinking about parking and then subsidizing it. Pete, if we could move away from providing that much parking space, it, it would kind of force people to... Do you know, you, you decide how to get to the airport on the basis of parking. I'm not gonna catch a seat. In fact, I haven't done that in, since joining Uber. I'm not gonna struggle for parking for a six o'clock flight. And I'm in a rush because I woke up just on time. Let that be somebody else's problem. They drop me and they go on with their business. They don't even need to park. That's, that's the first part. The second part is, imagine all of this infrastructure being used for other things. Parks, imagine your parking being converted into a crash. So you don't have to worry about taking a child to a crash there and then coming back this way. She's right there in mm -hmm. the same building as you. And please don't tell me that we've got, we don't have enough space for human settlement. We've got floors and floors of parkades. So all the things we think we don't have, we do have. Mm -hmm. We do have the budget. We do have the space. We're just not optimizing what's at our disposal. I'm, a, I'm an open space person. Maybe it's because I was born in September. I, I'm not sure why you can't go at table bill, whatever whatever other place you fancy and go and work from there, why do you have to be confined in here? What makes people think that you should be stuck here for eight hours? This is the shared economy. This is this is what it has unleashed. Let's look at a simple thing like what they call uh laybys or taxi stops or bus stops. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that you've 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 sectorized it. It's a bus stop, it's a taxi stop so taxes go wild if you drop off. This is our space. Why are you here? There's nothing like that. It's public transport space. It should be for everybody. All are welcome. All, all should be welcome. And then you build a lay-by that can only fit one tax, and you say you've built a lay-by. I can tell with my technology, I can tell you now, and sending people want to be dropped off here and not here. So save yourself money and go and build a lay-by or drop-off area there and not mm. here. That's the beauty of our technology. I mean, you're getting down to centimeters now. It is you, you get you by, right? exactly, exactly. So for me, I I I hate parking spaces. I really do. They're a waste of space. 
it's going to be interesting to watch that. As I say, I, I, I'm fascinated to see how that part, that particular angle goes. And I think we're, we need we need good policy, strong, effective policy, good cooperation from both public and private sector, and ultimately a solution. And maybe you could introduce dynamic pricing. If you come to a mall or whatever area that needs parking at a certain time, and if it's prime time, let the prices go up to deter you from coming in with your car. But also, not just that, then make sure that there are alternatives that people can use. The park and rides from the during that World Cup, it worked. And we, they uh, worked. And, now, and, and now we ditched it. And, we, and as soon as the Ed Sheeran comes we, <laughs> to Joburg, it doesn't girl, work. This girl, it's no. Beyonce. Ed this, Sheeran was this is why running like I a clock. I don't understand why administrations haven't continued where it's an event of a certain extent you employ and deploy the full might of the park and ride schemes we we think short term there's an event let's plan for the event after that we we take a break we we take a breather until the next event happens i, I don't know how we, we I, I don't know i don't know why we do that but it's such a lost opportunity i'm launching uber movement in cape town in september Uber Movement is just making our data available. It helps you measure travel times of the transport corridors. But what we've done is we've also built in a hackathon on that. And the city of Cape Town is one of our partners as well as uh, Sandra. For Cape Town, we're solving for, can you use data to predict where the My City uh, passengers are going to be coming from? And then you base your determination on that so that you can you can have as many bums on the seats as you can, which then means as much as it's good to have a dedicated route, it's not optimal. Because you are saying, go on this straight line. Even if you don't have passengers here, you have them here. You, you, your business is to go on this straight line. None of what we are doing or what did in the past makes sense with, with, with technology. With Sandral, they're having an issue of road, uh, sorry, pedestrians being knocked over on the freeways. Now, taking our data, looking at their data and the video footage, now we start predicting where the passengers are going to be coming from. Then you react to a possible uh, pedestrian being knocked down as opposed to, sorry, you proactively react to that as opposed to just reacting to when they've been knocked down by a car. So, and that's all about data. You are sitting with the data here. On your my city and your taxis when and how do you put that to good use how do you collect it and, and, and make good use of it elisa i'm giving you a magic wand <laughs> that magic wand is uh, you're going to wave it and you're going to tell me what the transportation system looks like in five years time what will have changed what do you believe will have we can look forward to it's a magic wand therefore you can't be wrong You'll only be right. My wish, and this is the wish number one, is an accessible, truly accessible public transport system. For all? For all. I run trails, and when I'm in the deep rural of KZN, and there's only one taxi that I see in the morning, and you can see the dust it, it, it trail it leaves behind. And I asked the guys, the sweepers that get employed to look after us. So when is the next one coming? It is in the evening. So this guy is here to drop off people at the lodges. If you miss that one coming out, 
that's it you can't travel on that day all the investment is going to, into the uh, uh, urban environments there's nothing wrong with that but you're also depriving the rural areas or secondary towns from thriving mm. because transport is everything the other reality when you think about it is that we need to start thinking about the transport that we, 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 we don't know nothing about. So autonomous vehicles are coming. They're here. BMWs park themselves. It just depends, depends on the levels. Is sure. it a level one? Sure. Is it a level five? And if you look at the policy yeah. right now, the white paper and the National Land Transport Bill, it says bugger all about that. So we need to be thinking a bit more adaptive in the regulations. Bagaro. It's not the most intelligent that are going to be, that are going to survive. It's the ones that are able to adapt to the new environments. And that's what we're failing to do. We're failing to adapt. We wait for things to happen and then we say, because this has happened, therefore policy should look something like this, which is rather unfortunate. We're missing an opportunity here. The technology should be deployed. It doesn't have to be an Uber technology, by the way, Pete. Sure. It no, can no. be any other technology, but there's no reason why we should not be leveraging one technology in the public transport system. Instead of running 12,000 taxis, run 8,000, and they reap maximum benefit out of that access, asset. You've touched on some exciting future thinking. We've looked at some of the current contexts and challenges which are very real and at times quite overwhelming. For those young professionals out there who are perhaps listening to this and who are trying to make their way or trying to listen to the, uh, the, the wisdom that you've passed on, is there any final sort of message for them in terms of their hopes and aspirations? What, what's a message for those young professionals who are trying to make their way in the transport or built environment field um, based on your experience to date, over these two decades of your working experience? Go to government. Go work in government. We, we've, in the past, we've done some of, you know it, you were there. We've done some of the most amazing work. Go. Go and join government. As people that have been there before, I, we're really working hard to say to government, please don't tell us that there aren't any resources. There are the graduates. Put them to good use. It's, it's, it's a very fulfilling job to work for government. You're not chasing profits, you're changing people's lives, literally. But also just be mindful of the fact that, you know what, you don't come in today and tomorrow you are a rock star and an expert. The, it, these things take time. These things, be patient with yourself. But you know what, one of the best things you can ever do for yourself as a built environment professional is to go and work for government. Then you go to the private sector knowing exactly what you're doing with great experience behind you. I, I, I don't think I would have been able to, to, to add as much value as I've added at Uber if I didn't work for government. I, I, I mean, we worked with some of the most amazing people. So don't run away from it. It's a wonderful environment to work in. Yes, there's there's a whole lot of other things, but you'll find them in the in, in the private the sector. Grass is not always greener. The grass <laughs> is not always greener. So it, it, it is what it is. There is no perfect environment, but we need them to come in. But we also need those who are in government to help and mentor these kids. The millennials think, think differently. They don't have the patience. They come here and they speak very swiftly. You know, they want, they want, and they want, and they want now. There's nothing like that. 
you, you've got to take it with its gradual paces but you know what believe it or not it's 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 very impactful work that happens in the government space it's unfortunate that it's changed so dramatically since the last time I was there but nonetheless there's still a lot of work to be in fact I'm actually thinking we should all be going back one way or the other at some point in our lives we need to go back I'm sure you'd be welcome back with open arms, Yulisa. Okay, Thank not, you so much for your yet. time. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time Thanks, this afternoon. Pete. All the very best. Thank Travel you. safely back to Gauteng. Thank you. Thank you All so All the best much. with your uh, Uber adventures. And when hopefully, maybe a year's time, we pick up this discussion again. See where you're at. Thank you so much, Pete. I appreciate this. Get involved. Get informed. Most importantly, get subscribed. You can find us on our Twitter feed at Talking Transfo and the number one. That's Talking Transfer One. Talking Transformations music kindly supplied by Tribal Need. Find them at tribalneed.com.